Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. It's a joy and a privilege for Calvary Apostolic Ministries to share God's Word with you this day. Our subject is the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Last week we done part one, which was the introduction to the subject. However, because of the bad lighting, Brother Ian and myself felt it essential that we redo the teaching. So in the days that lie ahead, you will find that the previous video will not be available, or rather the one that we are doing today will be available because we have improved on the lighting. I trust as we share God's word with you, you're going to be blessed. It's very important that I dedicate this series to God. First and foremost, the series is to be dedicated to the glory of the eternal Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are what we are, and we share what we share with you because of the grace of our Father and the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. Or should I rather say, the love of the Father and the grace of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Secondly, I want to dedicate this series to my beloved pastor, and that is Apostle Edwin Gray, who has gone on to be with our Lord. One of the proudest moments in my ministry was to speak at his funeral, and may I add, what a victorious service it was. Although Apostle Edwin Gray was a mighty man of God, he was also a very humble man of God, a servant of God who through his anointed apostolic ministry had birthed several churches in the Durban area of Southern Africa. As a young servant of the Lord, whenever I was low in spirit, I always went to see my beloved pastor. On these occasions of depression, stress, and being low in spirit, I would not convey my feelings to Pastor Edwin Gray, but I would just sit in his presence and listen to him speak about the God he loved. I would leave his presence filled with the glory of God. He had this great aura of God's presence around him and flowing from him. As I sat in his presence, those countless times, I would be saturated with the presence of God that flowed from this mighty and yet humble man of God. I do miss him. Those moments in his presence are well inscribed on my spirit. And to this mighty man of God, I dedicate the series of the baptism into the Holy Spirit. No doubt, no doubt, much what I will be teaching is but an echo of what he, Apostle Edwin Gray, had taught me. And praise God, because he also taught me how to wait upon God, I too have fresh insight to this great experience that every saint of God should have. And that being the baptism into the Spirit. I salute you, Apostle Edwin Gray. 
And I am what I am because of the great work that God had done through you. Amen. The question we must ask ourselves concerning the baptism into the Spirit is simply this. Is there a need for another teaching on the subject? So many books have been written. So many audio tapes and videotapes have been recorded on the subject. Some theologians, some scholars say that the subject is virtually exhausted. Yet I do believe that though much has been written and said of the baptism, there's a great need that the teaching be reiterated for the simple fact that all has not yet been said of the experience. Constantly, God illuminates His Word with fresh light shed on given subjects. Secondly, there is a need to reiterate the teaching and shed fresh light on the subject because there is a constant attack on the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Not only by the powers of darkness, but sadly, the church itself. Those who name the name of Jesus, whose names are recorded in the book of life, those who are blood washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, these are the modern day critics of our time. The devil and his horde of demons, we can and must resist. We can march against him. We can declare war against him. That is spiritual warfare. And that being our weapons, the word of God, our testimony, and the blood of the Lamb. Concerning our fellow Christians, our brothers, we cannot march against them because they are family. And family never attacks family. Several days ago, not too long ago, I felt the Lord drop a word in my spirit, no doubt subject to judgment. And what the Lord spoke to me as a thought was the law of the brotherhood. And this is what it entailed as I pondered and thought of it. I can attack the devil, the horde of demonic forces when they come up against me, but I cannot attack my brother when my brother come, comes up against me. The law of the brotherhood. We can attack the doctrine of the brother, but we can never attack the brother of the doctrine. Let me reiterate that. I think it's essential that I re-echo that. Once again, we can attack the doctrine of our brethren who oppose our teachings, but we can never ever attack the brother that opposes our teachings. The spirit of love must always permeate our relationships with God's people, even though they are against us. I'll never forget the words of Apostle Edwin Gray, my pastor and my teacher. He said these words, and they ring true throughout my ministry. Truth does not need defense. It only requires declaration. We're not going to march against our Christian critics. We're simply going to declare the truth 
And what is truth? Thy word is truth. The common areas that our brethren attack our teachings against the baptism into the Holy Spirit are number one, the supernatural, that is, signs and wonders, miracles, the speaking in tongues, etc., etc., has ceased at the close of the apostolic age. Number two, they teach vehemently that there's no need for the supernatural, for that which is perfect has come. And by that they mean the completion of the canon of Scripture. Number three, our beloved brethren, washed in the blood, naming the name of Jesus, constantly say, constantly say and that with great, with great uh, emphasis, that the baptism into the Spirit is but of the devil. Now we are going to address this. We're going to attack this doctrine. But praise God, we're not going to attack the brethren who speak the doctrine. It is imperative that before we begin the instruction that we set objectives. We are not just going to meander through the word of God. We're going to establish aims and purposes. Objective number one, through the teaching, it is our aim and our prayer that many Christians will experience the baptism into the Spirit. Those who as yet have not experienced the baptism into the Spirit, that through this teaching they'll be awakened unto it and desire it and even experience the baptism. Objective number two, that our Christian critics will embrace the baptism. And if not, that they will realize that although our doctrines differ, we must remain brethren and respect each other for the sake of our testimony to the lost. Objective number three, that those who are already baptized into the Spirit would thank God for the wonderful experience, but at the same time also realize that there is more than just speaking in tongues in regards to the experience. There is much more, and if they embrace what God says through this teaching, they will realize that every blessing from God, with every blessing that comes from God, there also comes responsibilities. And what we're going to endeavor to do in our objectives, it's not only to impart the blessing, although the blessing comes from Jesus, but we through the word want to bring the church and more so those who have the experience in the baptism into the spirit to realize their responsibilities after that they have received the baptism into the spirit. Excuse me while I take a drink of water. Now we ask ourselves, what are we going to study in the baptism into the spirit of God? Now, note the title. I want to say it. The baptism into the spirit. I did not say the baptism of the spirit. I said the baptism into the spirit. Words are vital. Word studies are very important. And one of the lessons we're going to concentrate on is the distinction between the word of and the word into. And by studying these two words, we're going to discover that there are great distinctions between the various baptisms that are taught in the Word of God.
we also going to study, or rather, we also going to adhere to the principles of hermeneutics, the science of interpretation, using the various principles thereof, the linguistic principle, and we're going to do word studies of the origins of words, the history of words, an in-depth study on the word of baptism we're going to conduct. And this will help us to see truth that much of the church has lost out unto. We're also going to study that the baptism into the Spirit is a threefold promise. It is a promise that every member of the glorious eternal Godhead had made. The Father promised the baptism into the Spirit. The Son of God promised the baptism into the Spirit. The Holy Spirit promised the baptism into the Spirit. In fact, it's a promise made by the Trinity. And that's wonderful. Every person of the Godhead is involved in the baptism into the Spirit. It, it, it is wonderful to note how that Jesus speaks of the baptism into the Spirit. He says the promise, the promise of the Father. Hallelujah. We're going to study that. Other than that, we're going to study just what is a promissory note. Just what is a promissory note. And by the way, we don't have one promissory note in the Word of God concerning the baptism into the Holy Spirit. We have a threefold promissory note. And that being from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God. We're going to study just what it is in a promissory note that makes it a legal document. That's important. A promissory note is a legal document. And because the document is legal, whatever is promised to the individual, it has to be received by the individual in the sense that it is a legal document. We're also going to study whether or not the apostolic age is over. Remember, I previously said that one of the, the, the main thrusts of the, the critique against uh, the experience is that the apostolic age is over. Now, uh, we need to ask ourselves what is meant by the apostolic age. We, are to, uh, we, we have to ask ourselves, furthermore, are there no more apostles? We need to come to an understanding whether or not there are apostles today or not. And if there be apostles, do they carry the same authority as the early apostles? We're going to study all this. And we're going to note as we do an in-depth study of the apostolic age and making a distinction between early apostles and present day apostles that what has been done through these men does not end with their death. It doesn't end with their death. Rather, it continues. We're going to do an in-depth study on this. This is a vital subject. And we're going to realize that the reason why, or rather we're going to discover why many say that uh, the cessation of the supernatural uh, has taken place because of the close of the apostolic era as such. Now, let me say, and I just whet your appetite, the reason why many say that because we have wrongly entitled the Acts of the Apostles. It should never be that title. 
It should never have ever been the Acts of the Apostles because straight away we associate the supernatural with man. It should be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. But no doubt we will further elaborate on that. We're also going to study the three distinct baptisms. And those are being baptized into the body of Christ, water baptism, and the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Why is it so vital? Why is it so imperative that these three baptisms be studied? Well, for this apparent reason, each baptism has a different administrator. They show that each baptism has a different purpose. Now, why are we going to emphasize this? Well, for this apparent reason. The church believes that when you are born again, when you commit your life to Jesus, you repent, forsake your sins, and accept Christ, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enter into your spirit. And all those who do that will accept Christ. They become the temple of God. And the Bible goes even further. The Bible says the church becomes, the born again become the habitation of the Spirit of God. Now with this, we don't disagree. We concur. We agree. However, we do not agree with them that because of the Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit resides in us, that there is no need for the baptism into the Spirit. We're going to show you from the Word of God the distinction that the Word of God makes concerning the born again. Now, I just want, want to once again whet your appetite. When you're born again, the Father comes in you, the Son of God comes in you, and the Spirit of God comes in you. However, listen to me carefully. When you are baptized in the Spirit, the Spirit of God that was in you now comes out of you. He is looking for expression. Hallelujah. And that's the difference. He was first in you, but now that you, Jesus baptizes you into Him, and that takes place within your spirit, He comes now out of you. He's no more in you. He's flowing from you. A river of living life. When you discover and study the, the baptisms, you know, when the Spirit of God is in you initially, it talks about becoming a member into the body of Christ. However, when He begins to flow out of you, this speaks of the anointing of the Spirit. This speaks of the baptism into the Spirit. Oh, I'm so excited. There's so much that I'm going to share with you. And I, I believe that you are going to be mighty blessed. But I just want to repeat myself. Remember, when you're born again, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit comes in you. We are the habitation of the Spirit. But when we are baptized in the Spirit, He that is in us begins to come out of us. He begins to express the glory and the power, the grandeur, the splendor, and the might of the Most High God. Furthermore, we're also going to study and trust in death the purpose of the baptism into the Spirit. 
Much teaching, no doubt, has been given for the purpose. No doubt, I must admit, there are, uh, there is, there are personal reasons why we are baptized. And one of the ultimate purposes is that we witness. And, and sad to say, sad to say, many of us fail to understand the full import of the word witness. You know, perhaps I, 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 can, I, I can accelerate your hunger. You know, Jesus said these words. Can you be baptized with the same baptism that I am baptized with? Now, we, we need to ask ourselves, what was Jesus implying? And let me say that the baptism of Jesus was just not a, a baptism into power. Or the Bible did say how that Jesus went from place to place full of the power of the Spirit put into flight the enemy of our soul. Listen to, 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 to the word power. P-O-W-E-R. P for power, O for over, W for wicked, E for evil, R for rivalry. The baptism into the Spirit is power. And it speaks of power over the devil. Uh, this baptism is not only a power over the powers of darkness, it is also a baptism of fire. It is that which consumes you. It is that which motivates your life. But you know what? Jesus had said, and we need to repeat, can you be baptized with the same baptism that I have been baptized with? And thank God, thank God, hallelujah. We love the segment that deals with the power of God. We love the segment of the baptism that deals with the fire of God. But so many of us fail to know and understand that there's another segment to the baptism into the Spirit. And that is being baptized into suffering. Being baptized into suffering. And you cannot have the power. You cannot have the fire of the Holy Ghost unless you have the suffering. Jesus said, uh, the word says rather that I might know him in the, in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. Church of God, the word witness is going to show us that attached to the baptism is much suffering for the sake of the Lord. Amen. We're also going to study that when we receive Christ, in our born-again experience, that we take on the nature of Christ. And that simply means when God our Father looks down from heaven, He sees Jesus in us. We're going to discover that not only do we have the nature of Christ, we also have, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the self-same ministry of Christ. You know, the Bible says in the born-again experience, all things pass away, behold, all things become new. And this speaks about instant justification. We receive the nature of God. But you know what? Through the baptism into the Spirit of God, we that already have the nature of Christ, through the baptism of, Christ, of the Spirit into the Spirit, we now have the ministry of Christ. 
And let me say this. Christ was a prophet. Christ was a priest. And Christ was a king. And when you, born again, placed into the nature of Christ, and thereafter, now that you have the nature of Christ, and Jesus in turn takes you and immerses you uh, into the Holy Ghost, that self-same Holy Ghost that immersed Jesus with the mantle of a prophet, a priest, and a king, that same Holy Ghost gives you that mantle of a prophet, a priest, and a king. Oh, brethren, let's not tell half-half stories. I don't only want to be born again. I just don't only want to have the nature of my Christ. I want to have his ministry as well. And you know what? You know what the Bible says. Greater than this he shall do. Because I go to my Father. Hallelujah. And when he got there to his father, the father and Jesus poured out the spirit of God. And we, the church, washed in the blood of the lamb who named the name of Jesus. We were immersed into the ministry of Jesus Christ as well. Prophet, priest and king. Let me whet your appetite. P-R-O-P-H-E-T. And if you heard it before, it comes from me. Now thank God for that. Proclaiming revelation over propaganda, heralding eternal truth. Hallelujah. Furthermore, we're also going to study what is the evidence of being baptized into the Spirit. What convinces you? What convinces me? What does the Bible tell us? What is the common denominator? Well, when you study Acts chapter 8, 9, 10, and 19, you're going to discover the common denominator. Hallelujah. Another very important section of the baptism series that we will be focusing on is whether or not there is a chronological order of events. Or let me say it again. Whether or not there is a chronological order of witnessing. You know, just as a baby first crawls, walks, and then runs, so in the same way, there is a chronological sequence of witnessing. And you find that many run before they crawl, before they walk. And no wonder there's no signs and no wonders in the church. No wonder the church is shortchanged in the supernatural. There's a divine order that the church has to follow. And in the baptism of, into the Spirit of God, we're going to study this. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, You shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And brethren, we're not there. I'm in Auckland. You're probably in Durban or wherever you are in Sydney, wherever you are. You're not in Jerusalem, you're not in Samaria, you're not <laughs> where Jesus was, where the disciples was. How is this going to apply to you? God through his word will teach us how this applies to us. Now, one of the very important subjects in the baptism that we have to further study is the it is interesting to note concerning the laying of hands. It plays an integral part in the baptism into the Holy Spirit. However, there are those that teach concerning the laying on of hands that there's no need 
that there be the evidence of speaking in tongues because hands have been laid. Now, I don't disagree for one moment that the laying of hands plays an integral part in uh, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, or rather the baptism into the Holy Spirit. But what I do believe is this, whether hands are laid or not, it must be followed by the speaking in tongues. We're going to teach you that. We're going to show you from the Word of God. And other than that, we're going to discover who may lay hands. Not any Tom, Dick and Harry can lay hands and expect for people to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. It needs a man like Peter, like James and John. Men of God who are walking close with God. Holy men of God spoke as the Spirit of God moved. Another vital aspect of the baptism into the Holy Spirit is to know what the baptism fully entails. And you know what? One of the areas that the church has failed to, to magnify is that they fail to understand that the baptism into the Spirit is a part of the inheritance of the saints of God. I said the word inheritance, and I said it for a purpose. In order for any person to receive an inheritance, there has to be a testator, one who has made a will, but who has passed on and has bequeathed the will. And there has to be an executor in the world. Now the baptism into the Spirit <laughs> baptizes us into the executor of the will of God. And all that is promised to you and to me and to the world is given to us that we in turn might take the will of God and share it with all those people that God had bequeathed His will unto. We're going to go into depth with that concern. We will also study how to receive the baptism into the Spirit. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that they were to wait. They were not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Now, we're not in Jerusalem. How does this scripture apply to us? We need to know. We need to know how Jerusalem applies to us. Because there might be those that will take the word Jerusalem and say you can't receive it. You've got to be in Jerusalem. <laughs> now, last but not least, we will be studying the prayer life of those baptized in the Spirit. And what is important in Spirit prayer is that there is a transition from the mundane to the heavenly. And I'm reminded of the scripture that says, His thoughts are not our thoughts in the book of Isaiah. His ways are not our ways. We're going to study that through the baptism into the Holy Spirit and many other experiences in the Word of God, that God's thoughts, God's ways can become ours. Because through prayer, through praying in the Spirit, we put on the mind of Christ. We put on the thoughts of God. Last but not least, we're going to discover that there's a strong possibility that the baptism into the Holy Spirit can be a disappointing one. This is so sad, but it's so true in the modern day church. 
we've highlighted the evidence of having received the baptism into the Spirit through the speaking in tongues. But sad to say, we've not highlighted the purpose of the baptism. And I feel that we need to, in these days, begin to highlight the purpose. And I believe in these days that the purpose even outweighs the initial evidence. What's the use of having the initial evidence and not fulfilling the ongoing evidence that you are daily filled with the Spirit, and that being you are witnessing? We're going to study this church of God, how that we can rectify this sadness, the sad state of affairs in the church, where very few people of God is witnessing. What we have in today is much transfers of one church into another church. And finally, what is the ultimate purpose in the baptism into the Spirit? What is the ultimate purpose? The ultimate purpose, I do believe, in the baptism into the Holy Spirit is but to glorify the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God. I close this introduction, but my prayer is that God will place a hunger, a yearning in your spirit if as yet you not have received, to receive the baptism. If you are one of those that constantly criticize the baptism, if you go as far as saying it's even of the devil, we forgive you, brother. But we ask you to reappraise the teachings, reappraise the word of God, fast and pray and seek God's face. Many of you just received the teaching you never sort it out for yourself. Weigh it up. Re-evaluate it. And pray about it. And ask God, is it for you today? Then last but not least, we are praying that the church would arm itself with the baptism into the Spirit of God. And that once again the church will become the church likened unto the church of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, God keep you, and God cause his face to shine upon you. We'll see you next time. That is Brother Ian and myself. God bless you. Amen.